Welcome to The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. Today, for my listeners, I'm starting a new format. In addition to the podcast interviews we've been doing over the last you know, two and a half years and going into our third season, where fortunately I've interviewed really outstanding guests that I hope have shed a lot of light on the particular areas, whether it was COVID, COVID vaccines, chronic fatigue syndrome, candida, you name it, allergies. We've really covered some of the top people in the field. So if you ever had a chance, go back. You can listen to some of our prior episodes. I think would be you'd find it really interesting. But today, I thought I'm going to start a new uh, format where I'll be bringing up sometimes medical news that I think is really important or it might be interesting to discuss. Uh, in the future, also, maybe if I see a, a particular um, popular health book that everyone wants to know about, and uh, or if there's a really important journal article that came out that I want to take the deep dive instead of just the, you know, what you hear on the news, you know, the one sentence, you know, title. And also what I'm going to be doing today is an interesting case from my practice. I've been really privileged in my practice in New York City and Long Island over the past 30 years to see a lot of very complex cases. Uh, you know, my wife and I in our practice, Mitchell Medical Group, like to go by like being medical detectives. We tend to see these cases where Patients have been to nine or 10 other doctors before they come to us, and then we start doing the really slew thing to figure out what's wrong with them and how we can hopefully help them naturally, but also again with conventional medications if needed. I truly appreciate the listeners, and if you have any feedback on this format, I would love to hear from you. Uh, you, can come, you can contact me on my Instagram account at the smartest doctor in the room. So sit back and please, I hope, enjoy the podcast. So, you know, COVID, we're all dealing with that. And I just did a great podcast with uh, Dr. Bruce Patterson last week talking about the new ways to diagnose the long-haul COVID patients and also on new treatments, which I think is just really exciting. But we're all still struggling with this whole idea of the COVID vaccines. Now, I'm an immunologist. I'm a big believer in vaccines, and I've gotten, you know, both of my vaccines. They were uh, Moderna. And I think it was really beneficial because fortunately or unfortunately, I ended up contracting COVID right at the beginning of the new year, probably Omicron. And I had a relatively mild case. You know, I had, you know, some body aches for a few days, a cough for a few days. But after that, it was pretty much finished. So the vaccines have really done the key job in that preventing you know, people like myself, and I'm, you know, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a patient at times from, you know, coming down with a severe case of COVID. So again, I can't emphasize enough how important being vaccinated is, not only to yourself, but to others too, so you don't spread it. But I know people are really frustrated that despite the vaccinations, COVID seems to still be spreading. And people are also getting a little bit leery and weary of all these extra booster injections, the third booster, which is becoming more routine. And now they're talking about a fourth booster. And I don't really disagree. I, I think there is concern. Why is it taking so many additional injections to achieve immunity? And the article that I read this last week in the New York Times, I think really pinpoints it and what I'm optimistic about. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Now, what they're working on in India and hopefully will then come to the rest of the world, the United States, is what's called nasal COVID vaccines. 
So what's the significance of these new vaccines and, and are they effective and are they safer? Now, nasal vaccines are not entirely new. You know, we know that for the flu vaccine, actually in the last, um, you know, several years, they came out with something called Flumist, which is a nasal vaccine given into the nose. Now, of course, the kids loved it because no kids like getting a shot. And it was shown to be very effective. And, you know, again, it's an option that's not still really used very widely. I mean, people still tend to go for their flu shot. And what's frustrating about the flu vaccine, and I can attest to this, is that it's not always very effective. I mean, the studies vary from sometimes being 30% effective, hopefully sometimes higher. You know, again, the flu strain varies every year. Um, but I, again, myself, I get the flu shot every year. If I can get any kind of protection, I'm happy you know, to get that. But the whole idea of these nasal vaccines is brings up a very important point about how to achieve immune protection. I mean, in some ways, I think a lot of immunologists and virologists think it's going to be a game changer. And my thinking is, you know, instead of just getting another injection, like whether you're third or fourth uh, booster vaccine, whether getting this nasal vaccine might be the best solution. Now, I'd like to get into a little bit of immunology the same way I would for patients in my office for all of you to understand, because I think it's important. So when you get a COVID uh, vaccine, whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, or again, with these you know mRNAs or the Johnson & Johnson, essentially what it does is it raises what's called your immunoglobulin G to COVID, which is very important. As I said, it gives you a lot of protection. And Again, that what we call this systemic immune protection so that, again, hopefully your body is not overwhelmed by the virus. Remember, this virus was so potent and lethal in ways because our bodies had never seen this virus. Our immune system had never seen this virus in history. Now, again, that's a whole question of, again, it jumping from animals to humans or for the first time or was it concocted in a lab? That's for you know, the, the mystery detectives to find out eventually. But what's really interesting about nasal vaccines, especially even with COVID, that it goes right to the area where the virus infects us, in the nose and the throat. And by doing this, again, with a vaccine, you generate what's called immunoglobulin IgA, which is known as the mucosal immunoglobulin. It's the immunoglobulin that protects your sinuses, uh, it protects your, in your throat, and also actually protects your digestive system. and by doing the nasal vaccine, you are building up this IgA antibody in your tissue, which experts believe will not only help you from transmitting the virus, but prevent you from getting it at all. So I'm really super excited about this and I'm on the lookout because again, I'm not really looking forward to getting a third and fourth booster vaccine where it's essentially doing the same thing it did originally and the virus has mutated since these vaccines originally came out. So I just thought it was something really important and interesting to think about and to be on the lookout because, again, one of the, the really tenets of, of this podcast is that to get the latest and best news possible instead of just doing the things that have been around for a while and, you know, may have, you know, there may be more benefit on the newer type of treatment options. Okay. Let's pivot to what I'm hoping also is going to, you know, the listeners are going to find um, interesting and, you know, special in some ways is what I call the case of the month. 
Again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm really privileged and fortunate to have this really interesting holistic medical practice where I practice immunology with my wife, Dr. Ricky Mitchell, and we are able to treat patients. You know, we're able to you know work with patients all over the country doing educational consults uh, through Zoom and helping to identify if there's areas in their medical workup that might have been overlooked. And we also are able to, if they're able to come to New York, treat them. So today I'm going to talk about a case that actually just happened a couple of weeks ago, but it, I've seen this in several different variations. And I hope that uh, you'll find it interesting and maybe be able to help a friend if they're, they're struggling. So today's case is about a 53-year-old female who lives on Long Island. And she had been relatively healthy for most of her adult life. But about a year ago, March of 2021, um, she developed a, a whole myriad of symptoms. She was getting swelling in her hands, swelling in her face, and stomach pains. She saw her primary doctor who did an initial evaluation. It was very thorough. And through all of the testing, he did find that she had a very elevated anti-nuclear antibody called ANA. Some of you might be familiar with it. It was actually 1 to 1,280, which, which is very high. She was then referred to a rheumatologist and then to see a second rheumatologist for really more specific autoimmune markings. But it, all of these came back negative. She then went to see a neurologist to help explain this burning sensation she was getting in her fingers. Uh, again, the workup was negative. And then finally, you know, she went to see an allergist, you know, out of sort of desperation and to see if there was any anything in her environment that was causing some type of unusual allergy that could be explaining these symptoms. But again, the allergist found nothing. She came to my office in Rockville Center, Long Island this past January, and I listened pretty carefully to her story. And she did have a number of symptoms that started to give me an idea of what her problem was. She had, you know, these unusual symptoms that doctors sometimes are uncomfortable with, like what's called temperature dysregulation, which you're feeling hot and cold, you know, for no apparent reason. She also had these ice pick feeling in her, a type of pain, you know, in her extremities and sometimes in her legs. And sometimes she even got numbness in her hands, which again, was very unusual. And the other thing which I found very interesting was that she explained, she goes, she noticed she was getting a lot of static shock when she was touching things. So a lot of unusual symptoms that are not usually in the, the regular medical textbook. She also was suffering with some abdominal pain and diarrhea, but she said that was, you know, she could deal with that. But the most significant part of her story wasn't just even her symptoms. It was her travel history. She mentioned to me that in November of this past year, she went back to England, that's where she was from originally, to visit her mother who was ill. And even with all the stress of caring for her ill mother, she was surprised to notice that all of her symptoms went away. She was perplexed to say the least. To her dismay, once she returned home, within a week or so, her symptoms slowly started to come back. I like to think of myself as a medical detective, but it didn't take Sherlock Holmes to realize there had to be something in her home that was making her sick. I asked her if she had ever had water damage in her home, 
And of course, like so many of us on Long Island, she did it after Hurricane Sandy in 2008, which it was a long time ago. Uh, at that time, the whole lower floor of her home had been flooded. Her husband and some of his friends, you know, took to the task of, of you know, removing the water and cleaning up the best they could. And, you know, they went on with their life. I told her at this point, I was pretty concerned that she might have uh, ongoing toxic mold exposure. She was a little bit surprised. She had heard about it, but again, she didn't see any type of black mold growing anywhere. So wasn't sure how, how much this was an issue. So I took her through the workup of how I diagnose and treat patients that have potentially toxic mold exposure. I've been fortunate to do training with Dr. Richie Schumacher and, and Dr. Neil Nathan, two really noted experts in the country on this. And unfortunately, it's really a little bit out of the mainstream of allopathic medicine. There's not really any special training, fellowships, or programs for this, although it's a much more common than people realize. So the first thing I asked her to do was fairly simple, was there on the computer, you could do what's called a visual contrast test, which is a screening test for mold. It also helps sometimes help identify if someone has Lyme disease and any and another type of biotoxin illness. And her and what you do is you go on the computer, you sign up through www.bcstest.com. And it's about a 10 to 15 minute test where it has different lines going in different directions. And, you know, you have to, you know, correctly, you know, put down what you see. And the test then gives you a, a, a rapid answer whether you pass or fail the test. And again, this is a screening test. It's not a definitive test. But in this case, my patient did have a positive or essentially failed the test for the visual contrast test. Her total score at the time was like 53%, where you know, in both eyes where uh, it should be obviously over 80, 85%. So, okay, the, and at this point, my antenna is up that we are dealing with some type of biotoxin illness. The next thing I did was I arranged for her to get a urine mycotoxin kit, which I have in my office, which we send out to a lab, a special lab in Texas called Real-Time Labs to see what, if there's any toxins in the body. And again, so this can't be done through routine blood tests. There really is no other way that's really as accurate at this time. And sure enough, about two weeks later, when I got back the urine mycotoxin test, she was positive to two type of mold toxin. One of them was called ochratoxin A. Another one was a group of what's called trichotheocenes. Both of them are toxic molds. At this point, you know, I told her, obviously, we have an issue and a problem. Uh, I was concerned about the home that she was living with. You know, she lived with her husband and her son. Both of them, fortunately, were not sick. And it's interesting because there are genetic uh, susceptibilities to mold toxins. Some people are just really fortunate. They, their genetic makeup, it doesn't bother them as much. Others are more highly sensitive. I did recommend to her at that point to have her home inspected. And I gave the recommendation of... Uh, Joe Reese, who's been on my podcast, who I think just does a great job of evalu evaluating homes for mold. And sure enough, he went in and did a very thorough evaluation. And he found that the levels were very high, according to what's called the ERMI and the Hurts Me Too scores. Again, if you want to listen to my prior podcast with Joe uh, on this, you'll find out a lot of, I think, really interesting and important information. So the patient did a very tough thing 
which I give her so much credit for because I see this all too often. People just are paralyzed about what to do. But this patient literally within a few weeks found another home in the area where she lives to rent, moved out of her home, and is having the, the proper remediation done. So that's going to be really important in, you know, when she wants to come back to her home that she loves, you know, that it, she can feel safe. Now, currently, I'm actually have her undergoing the treatment plan that I do in my office, where she's going to receive some IV vitamin treatment with glutathione to try to remove the toxins from her body. We're also going to use probiotic binders and antifungal medications, which also, again, helps really decrease the toxin load in the body. I thought this was a fascinating case, you know, because, again, this patient suffered with this illness for a couple of years, but really many years after the actual damage went to her home. And again, her unusual symptoms, you know, as I said, was an enigma to a lot of other doctors. But again, seeing this in my practice quite often and consulting with patients, you know, around the country, this is a lot more prevalent problem than most of us realize. I recommend to anybody worried about toxic mold or that, and that's causing possibly unusual symptoms to read Neil Nathan's book, Toxic. I've had also Dr. Nathan on the podcast uh, many months ago, and he's just a terrific resource. And I think the book is extremely readable for the layperson. Many of my patients I either recommend or they actually come into my office with that book. And when we discuss their case, it really helps them understand what they have to do. Uh, again, I, and I also hope if you get a chance to listen to the podcast where I interviewed Joe Reese, where we really go into the key things of identifying environmental safety, you know, in your home or in your office to make sure that you're healthy. Well, that's that's it for today's podcast. I hope you learned something and I hope you felt like you were sitting in the office with the smartest doctor in the room. And if you enjoyed this, please give us a review and uh, recommend this to your friends. So Good luck and stay healthy.